This is AWLS, Podcasts on Wilderness Medicine, from the University of Utah School of Medicine. Hi, my name is T.W. Jones, and I'm a pediatric infectious disease specialist here at the University of Utah. Today, we're going to be talking about Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, which we sometimes abbreviate to RMSF. I'm going to start off with a case. I've changed some of the personal details uh, for the sake of confidentiality for the patient, uh, but we're going to discuss a real case that I've seen um, in the past year or two. This was a previously healthy 11-year-old young man uh, who came in midsummer with fever, myalgias, that means muscle aches, headache, and rash. His symptoms initially started with some loose stools and some belly pain, and his fevers rose up to 103, about 104 degrees Fahrenheit at home in the first few days. This was followed by some back pain and some muscle aches and some nausea. He first went to an outside emergency department where they did a few urine studies, took a chest x-ray, and uh, at the time, COVID was surging uh, throughout the United States, so a COVID test was obtained. All of these were negative. They told him and his parents that he probably just had a virus and sent him home uh, to take ibuprofen and Tylenol. However, the fever and the muscle aches persisted. Um, this was followed by a headache, uh, which was kind of on both sides of the, the front part of his forehead, um, along with uh, photophobia uh, and phonophobia, meaning that he was very disturbed by bright lights and loud sounds. His pediatrician got really cur- concerned about this and recommended that he present himself to the emergency department again. And now he started to develop a red spotted rash on his chest and shoulders, and that seemed to progress and disseminate further. Um, otherwise, the rest of his medical history was pretty benign, but when my team met him, we found that he'd recently traveled to Mexico to visit family um, only a couple of weeks, only about a week or so before. Um, they'd flown to Mexico City, um, where their family picked them up and took them to a rural village uh, outside of Puebla. There um, in the village, uh, he'd been outdoors. There had been um, plenty of ticks on local uh, cattle, but none that were observed on him. Um, and otherwise uh, didn't have any other concerning um, history in his exposure history. When we met him, he had some uh, very um, irritated red eyes. He had the rash not only on his chest and his arms, but also on the palms of his hands and the soles of his feet. And his white blood cell count was actually a little bit low. His platelet count was a little bit low. um, And his liver function tests were uh, elevated. We had all of these different Uh, signs and symptoms here in front of us, and we were immediately concerned for Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, ordered the appropriate tests, and went ahead and started him on doxycycline. Now we'll get back back to his case in just a little bit, but I want to give you some background on Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, and I'm going to take you all the way back to the year 1894, back at Boise Barracks in Idaho. At this time, we had a report from Major Marshall W. Wood to the U.S. Surgeon General saying that local civilians in in the Boise Barracks area had been experiencing fevers for two to three weeks. They would have headaches and, as he described it, grievous pains like those of dengue. These uh, civilians then started to experience rash on the third or fourth day of their illness, and a pretty sizable percentage of them experienced mortality. Up to 5% of these civilians were dying of this ailment. Nobody knew what it was, but they started calling it the spotted fever. And notice that it afflicted farmers and lumbermen along the Bitterroot Valley, um, in particular in Montana. Interestingly, local tribes of the indigenous people were unaffected. And some believe that maybe this was because the indigenous people said there was evil in the spring in certain canyons, like Lolo Canyon. And they said that these areas had to be avoided. As more of these cases were detected in Montana and Idaho, it became known as the Bitterroot Blight or the black measles. 
At this time, um, the Montana State Board of Health requested that the University of Minnesota send two pathologists, Lewis Wilson and William Chowning, out there to try to investigate what was going on. Very soon, they noticed that um, it was mostly predominant in the lumber industry, and they said that um, the lumbering industry has indeed been a factor in these cases, and it took its employees into the timbered country, which harbors infected ticks, and caused a general increase in the population of the valley with the consequent exposure of a larger number of persons. The same thing was noticed with the railroad construction uh, industry as well. Their visit to this area was followed by Howard T. Ricketts, uh, a pathologist from the University of Chicago, who went on to confirm that the competent vector for this was uh, Dermacenter andersoni. Uh, this is the uh, Rocky Mountain wood tick. Um, later on, he founded the Rocky Mountain Laboratory in Montana um, in an abandoned schoolhouse and began to develop the first spotted fever vaccine at that time by grinding up infected ticks and using them to actually inject into volunteers as the vaccine. Um, as this program expanded, they built a new laboratory. And to this day, this laboratory has uh, now been involved in research in other tick-borne diseases uh, and uh, other animal-involved diseases as well, like Q fever. Um, now this is one of the most important facilities in the country for studying infectious diseases, the Rocky Mountain Laboratory, still located in Hamilton, Montana, in the United States. Now let's talk a little bit about the geography of this disease. This is primarily a disease of North America. We don't find it in Asia, we don't find it in Europe, we don't find it in Africa, um, or even really, uh, for the most part, South America. It's primarily North America. In the United States, we see it primarily in North Carolina, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Tennessee, and Missouri. And those account for over 60% of these Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever cases. Of course, when people are learning about this disease and they hear the name Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, but then they hear that all the diseases are happening uh, in a completely wrong part of the United States where there are no Rocky Mountains, they say, well, that, that disease name must be a mistake. But as I just pointed out to you, the disease was actually discovered in the Rocky Mountain region of the United States. And we still do find it in other areas in the United States. We find it in places uh, like Wyoming. We find it in places like Utah. We find it in places like West Virginia. Interestingly, while I did say that uh, one of the ticks that can transmit this disease, the Rocky Mountain wood tick, um, is often the, the vector that we think of as being most responsible. It has actually shown the ability to jump to a new tick vector, in this case, the brown dog tick. And this has led to an outbreak in a state where it was never reported before, Arizona, down in the southwestern part of the United States. Now, it's not only in the United States, although it is a North American disease, we do find quite a bit of it in Mexico as well, in areas like Mexicali, uh, Sonora, Sinaloa, all the way down into central Mexico and down to the Yucatan as well. We've had numerous outbreaks reported in all of these regions. So it's not restricted to the United States, although it is mainly a North American disease. Well, what do people experience when they contract this illness? After the tick bite, there's a brief incubation period, and then they begin to develop uh, fever, and as the name would suggest, a rash comes up. Almost half of the people who get this disease have the rash show up in the first three days of the illness, and within the next several days, almost 90% of all people get the rash. It's a spotted rash, like I described, and it appears on the palms and the soles. However, there are a few people who don't necessarily get it, so not having a rash doesn't necessarily rule it out. In some cases, the rash is so severe uh, that you can actually get skin necrosis um, or 
cutting off circulation to portions of the skin. And in some severe cases, people can lose digits or require skin grafts because portions of the skin have died. As I described with the laboratory uh, findings, um, sometimes we see the white blood cell count normal. Sometimes we see it drop a little bit. Sometimes we see platelet counts drop too. Um, but one of the main things we see are the liver function tests becoming elevated. Now, the main way to treat Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever above all else and the most important drug for these people to receive is an antibiotic called doxycycline. There's, in fact, a saying that nobody should ever die without doxycycline. This is literally the life-saving medication for this illness. Um, even if people have a contraindication to receiving doxycycline, normally we would never give this drug to a pregnant woman. However, in the case of Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, if that's believed to be the cause of the illness, um, in that case, it's a life-saving medication and the benefits outweigh the risks. And they must receive it, at least seven days of treatment. In our patient's case, as I described, we were really worried about Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever based on where she'd been, the laboratory findings she was having, the rash that she had. So we started her on doxycycline because we were worried about the rash that she had, the laboratory findings that she had, and of course where she'd been in parts of Mexico where we knew there had been outbreaks. Sure enough, the laboratory uh, tests that we sent off were antibody tests for Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, and these came back positive, confirming our diagnosis. And luckily, she'd been started on the doxycycline when we had the suspicion of Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, and she was improved and all the way better uh, within just one week of starting this medication. So let's talk a little bit about what you would do if you were taking care of an individual who you had concerns had Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever or wanted to know what put them at risk. Some of the questions you should ask anybody is where have they traveled in the past two to four weeks? You want to make sure, have they been to one of these states that I described where we have lots more ticks that can transmit this disease uh, compared to other regions where it's not necessarily found? You'd want to ask about any known tick bites. Usually we um, have some experience of somebody finding a tick that's actually biting the individual and it's engorged with blood on the individual, which would be higher risk factors for transmission of disease. So, of course, the most important thing to remember with anything like this is that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And we want to talk about how to prevent tick bites. Um, first of all, recognize the terrain that you're going into. Places with uh, tall grass, places with lots of uh, brush that you're going to be walking through. Those are areas where ticks will actually climb up on the vegetation, put out their little arms, and try to catch on any passing mammalian hosts, um, such as yourself, in order to uh, grab onto you, latch onto you, and feed on you. So try to avoid areas with tall grass and lots of brush if you possibly can. Um, wearing uh, long pants, using... Uh, uh, arthropod repellent, such as DEET, and undertaking frequent tick checks to make sure that you don't have ticks um, on your person or on your clothing. Um, a lot of authorities advise wearing light-colored clothing. That's not necessarily anything uh, that'll keep the ticks from getting on you, but it makes them easier to recognize when they are hitching a ride on your clothing. And finally, when you return from the outdoors, um, it's always recommended that you get a, a nice quick shower in, uh, which can help help you find the ticks on yourself and also wash them off if they haven't latched on yet. All of these can be important steps for preventing tick bites, which would prevent transmission of things like not only Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, but also Lyme disease, Colorado tick fever, tularemia, and so forth. This concludes this podcast on Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. Thank you for listening and have a great day.